0: Hello and welcome to Pursue the Talks, brought to you by Pursue, a bespoke leadership and transition coaching company with a mission to create, nurture and develop inspiring leadership across the global education sector. My name is Nicholas Mackay, Associate Professor, Certified Professional Coach and Director of Pursue, and I'll be your host in this second series of conversations, bringing you cutting edge stories from across the global education sector delving into the minds of recognized education experts to find out about the challenges and main issues they are facing and to explore what education could look like moving forward. In today's conversation I'm delighted to welcome John Gwyn Jones MBE, the CEO of the Federation of British International Schools in Asia. John, thank you so much for joining me all the way from Penang.
1: Thank you, Nicholas, and thanks for the invitation. Um, I have to say I was inspired with the co- podcast that you're developing on leadership and uh, listened recently to the one you had with Chris Seal of Shrewsbury Riverside Campus in Bangkok. So you're doing some great work um, in terms of supporting aspiring leaders uh, in terms of these interviews. Well done.
0: Thanks, John. Much appreciated. So how long have you been in Penang for now then?
1: Well, I started my international career in 1986. Were you born then, Nicholas? Oh, oh,
0: that's, that's very nice of you to say, John. Yeah, I, I was actually. Yeah.
1: <laughs> a lot of people weren't. Uh, yeah, I was um, nine, nine years old. Oh, there we are. So um, I've broken a lot of records in terms of 35 years <laughs> coming up to Yeah, now. wow. Started my career in Hong Kong uh, with a British forces school there. Great experience. So it was a great start to my international career, and then I moved to my first headship in Penang in Malaysia. You know, um, before Hong Kong was handed back to China and the exodus. And uh, I was a head here for twenty-four years and um, really enjoyed it. And um, and then I I retired, which lasted about two weeks, and um, moved just the two weeks to Laos and because Laos um, has got the status of a least developed country but wow did Mm -hmm. I learn a lot during my time there in terms of leadership and working with an entrepreneur and um, did so much Um, and then just recently over last August I uh, probably was appointed to what I would consider a dream job you know and as CEO of Abyssia, you know, the inaugural CEO of Federation of British International Schools in Asia, is something I'm passionate about. And I was one of the founding heads of the Federation. So um, to be able to come back in this role has been a dream come true, really. So here I am. And how many schools do you have in the membership now then, John? It currently stands at seventy-six British-type international schools. Um, you know, back in the late eighties, you know, we you had a half a dozen founding schools. It was a bit of like a gin and tonic club, you know, an old boys club. And uh, yeah, so I must say the the balance in gender, there were far more female heads back then than probably there is now. Um, Whereas now, you know, it's grown beyond belief, really, and continues to grow. You know, over the next academic year, we're predicting an additional 8 to 10 new member schools. So we'll be hitting that 100 target is sooner than we expected, perhaps.
0: So you have uh, schools in, in all, you know, countries right across that region. So what's the current situation, John, in terms of education throughout Year Schools?
1: Um, I would say, you know, um, Asia is the growth area around the world in terms of international education. Uh, China itself has seen a massive growth in international education. And, of course, the British-type model is often seen as the preferred choice. And um, But throughout our region, and what you're finding more and more, Nicholas, is the The UK brand schools now are seeing a lot of potential in exporting their names. You know, the first brand to come to our region was Dulwich uh, in Phuket, Uh, whereas now, um, you know, it's incredible to see, you know, the Wellingtons, the Brightons, the North London Proligatives, the Harrows, uh, the Shrewsbury's, uh, they're all moving into Asia now, and um, so the Dalits and the who were the first groups to come, um, were well ahead of their time. You know.
0: So, what is it about that British type of education, John? Do you think appeals to people in that? Well, in your region.
1: Well, it's interesting. You know, ISC, which is a research company that looks into international education, they highlight that. Uh, The British model, uh, from its tradition, its history, is often seen as the choice um, in terms of setting up an international school. Uh, It has a tremendous reputation all around the world. Uh, The qualifications you get from a British education in terms of the IGCSEs, the A-levels, although the International Baccalaureate Diploma is becoming more and more popular um is also sought after especially the igcses you know there's there's very little to replace those in the international sector and then you'd be surprised you know there's a there's a huge alumni in the region so you know a lot of these uh, branded schools particularly are set up because in thailand for example uh, one of the investors might be an old um Dulwich boy of, you know um Epsom in Kuala Lumpur was set up by Dato Tony Fernandez, who owns AirAsia, because he attended Epsom himself. So there is that network as well that um, attracts these brands to come to the region. So it's a, a combination of a number of things, really.
0: So you mentioned there about networks and collaboration there, John. With 76 different schools in your membership what measures have have you put in place or do you continue to put in place to ensure collaboration across your region
1: you know right from the beginning when the federation was set up uh, we saw that one of the strengths was the networking um, uh, to be able to have uh, a colleague uh, that would give you that security of not feeling so isolated and that remains the case um, and although we've got seventy-six school, we still feel it's a small community. So it's it's quite easy to send an email or do a Zoom or pick up the phone uh, and talk to someone. And you know we've set up our federation in a way that you know we have a good turn of our heads each year. And when a new head comes into our federation, they're immediately buddied up. Uh, with the colleagues so that uh, when they come into post, they don't feel they're on their own, and uh, we share with them then what what benefits they have of being part of our membership. And, you know, we, we have regular meetings and conferences that bring us together. We bring keynote speakers. We run workshops. So, you know, it's quite a dynamic community in lots of ways, and that's not necessarily just for our heads. Um, but it also is extended to our staff and even to our students because that's the strength of our federation really is the enriched activities that we offer the students uh, as well as the CPD aspect that we offer to our staff. It's tremendous. So it's a breadth of uh, offer on offer for our communities that they all buy into, you know, and so it, that that's remains still the focus for us. Really.
0: And in terms of how you've, or how the schools, um, so say so CPD, for example, how you've managed to continue to deliver that through this time, what measures have you put in place?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting, Nicholas. We've got, um, within our structure, we have different executives that are given responsibility for different key areas in in every school setup. So for example, CPD is one of them. So we have a CPD executive then um, that coordinates um, programs uh, for our schools. And then each executive is split up to different regions. So we have three regions within Asia um, that span across a, a range of countries. Uh, so each region then come together and collaborate and identify areas that they want to have more support with in terms of, say, job like workshops. Uh, of course, those now are, used to be face-to-face where people would come together and share good practice. Uh, we're now calling them eJaws for the time being. So there's still that kind of collaboration. Mm. Uh, we have regular conferences uh, that bring our CPD leaders together. We we have teachers' conferences where we bring out various keynote and expertise from the UK. We had Ross McGill recently. Um, he was brilliant, um, very popular. We had the Teaching Assistant College uh, that came out and supported us, and VIMA. So, you know, um, we have a structure that You know, irrespective of lockdowns or school closures, life goes on, you know, and that's important.
0: So in terms of school closures, John, I mean, how do you see the new academic year panning out from, well, it's about mid-August, isn't it, really, internationally?
1: Yes. How much time do we have? Two (laughs) hours or...? (laughs) I tell you what, John. I'll, I'll,
0: put, I'll put a time limit. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you a couple of minutes. How's
1: that? Right. Oh, that sounds good. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it is going to be a challenge. You know, some of our schools remain closed. Um, they haven't opened yet. You know, Malaysia is a good example. Whereas some schools have been back for some time. You know, Taipei European School have hardly been closed at all. Um, and what's great about the collaboration is, you know, as a school opens you know, that school or that region shares that experience with the rest of our membership. So then in anticipating an, an, an opening, the school opening, the other schools then have time to prepare themselves from the experience of those schools that have gone through that process. So that, that in itself, and, you know, we've had several webinars, Max Steed of Kellett School in Hong Kong, has done some tremendous working, sharing uh, their experience in terms of the lockdown and opening, a, 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 you know, um, with the rest of our school. So that's worked really well. Um, Everybody is very optimistic about restarting the school year, you know, in August, um, and we're we're definitely seeing an easing of the uh, restrictions that have been put in place. So. It's quite encouraging, um, but, you know, there will be challenges in terms of, you know, bringing new staff out, especially from the UK, getting work permits processed on time. Uh, will staff go have to go into quarantine on arrival into different countries? Um, are schools confident with their enrollments? You know, will will they have the numbers that they predicted six months ago Um, and of course the pressure that they're getting particularly from parents in uh, reducing fees giving credits Uh, it's a good time not to be ahead to be honest (laughs) (laughs) you timed it perfectly John
0: (laughs) I mean in in terms of of, I suppose policy or approach across your schools I mean is, is there still the demand for international education i mean you know we spoke about this um you know about 10 minutes ago didn't we it seems like there's the the demand but our parents thinking well actually we're not quite sure what's going to happen in september so we'll hold off for another year or we'll defer our decisions till later on for example
1: well you know over the years asia has experienced not so much a pandemic like this you know we've never experienced like this ever in our lives before but we have experienced, you know, downturn in economies um, where expatriates have been relocated, and um, so it's it's not new to the business in terms of uncertainties. And schools are very flexible in having to adjust. What you know, what you're finding more and more now is that there's a growing local market. There's a growing middle class in each country that uh, are hungry for their student, for their children, to have a. An international education, so schools are adjusting to that kind of demand as well. Um, so, you know, it, I think that schools are not going to uh, suffer too much um, in terms of sustaining themselves and 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 securing their future. Um, of course, s- schools are, all, are concerned, and you know. Um, we will just have to wait to see what it'll look like when we come back and you know what I've seen across our schools over the last three months is you know I have to say I have the highest respect for our school leaders in terms of fighting against all the elements, you know showing that courage, not defeated um you know, and the challenges have been huge. But they ploughed on, and I, I tell you, the practice that I'm seeing, um, it's incredible, um, right across our schools.
0: It's really interesting to note, John. Actually, I mean, with the leadership coaching that I do with a lot of international school heads, it always comes up about planning and vision going forward. You know, what, what's going to happen next academic year? How can we plan for that? How can we get people on board? How can we collaborate? Who do we involve in the decision making? And a lot of the discussions have centred around what do we need to be doing face-to-face and what can we actually transition to doing more virtually? Um, So I suppose with your unique position, John, overseeing 76 schools, has there been one thing that stood out that that you've seen best practice from a school um, that maybe other schools could look to incorporate going forward?
1: Well, you know, schools have adjusted to a new way of doing things. And when I say a new way of doing things, you know, schools have always had these learning platforms. They're not so new to them. Um, And they have been implying them uh, at different times, not to the extent they're doing now. Um, But, you know, they've had to adjust, and they've done that very well. Um, But, you know, it's not easy. And, you know, the initial excitement of, uh, children at home on their mo- mobile devices, logging in with their teacher, and um, you know that sometimes does wear off. And you know, you talk to a lot of teachers now when they're zoomed out, you know. And um, yeah, yeah, uh, a big concern schools have got at the moment is the well-being, you know, in terms of um, morale of staff and you know not being able to uh, have the previous norm that they've been used to. Uh, it was interesting. I was talking to someone this week and um, predicting the way forward. And, oh, it was panic, panic, panic. It was a bit like Captain Mainwaring, you know, don't panic, don't panic. In <laughs> Dad's army, you know. Yeah, and yeah. and I, it was great to be able to share with that person, you know, the experience of a school that had opened in terms of, hey, it's as if we've not been away, you know. So when the actual schools reopen and the students come back, of course, with a greater emphasis in terms of health and safety, but, you know, the the teaching and the socializing and the collaborating and the integrating, it's not changed. And it was interesting, in, you know, one of the debates that we've had in schools over the years is, you know, are we preparing our students for jobs in the future? And mm. they may not be here yet. And that debate now is, you know, are we preparing a way for learning that perhaps uh, is going to be so different in the future? And do we need teachers? And, you know, you ask any parent now, they value teachers now more than they've ever done when they <laughs> had yeah. to be stuck at home with their two seven-year-olds and and having to support them. So, you know, it's really shown through what the importance uh, of Teachers are and the work, the great work that schools do, uh, not just in terms of educating the students, but the you know the values, the social aspect. And I think you know that will return to normality. And um, I don't think we need to worry too much about the new normal. Um, you know, if we had this conversation in a year's time. Um, Uh, particularly if there's a vaccine that's suddenly been developed, um, not much will have changed, in my opinion.
0: So um, That's a good point, John. So in terms of moving forward, if we have this conversation in five years' time, how would you like to be seeing education uh, in in your region, in in, in Asia?
1: I I think there's going to be a shift. in in a new type of international schools, Mm -hmm. and we're seeing that happening in China at the moment. You know, there there's um, a a greater demand for bilingual education. Yeah, um, so that um, you know, nationals from that country can still continue to learn to their mother tongue uh, and yet have access to uh, an international type pedagogy. Um, So I think there's going to be a shift definitely there uh, in terms of the local market, the demand from the local market. Uh, There's got to be a point where, you know, the growth will slow down. You know, um, if you look at cities like Bangkok or Kuala Lumpur, uh, it seems saturated with a number of international schools. And you Mm. ask yourselves, wow, you know, how can they all survive, you know, in terms of new ones that are setting up. Um, So I think there's gonna be a slowdown in terms of the growth of schools. Um, And then of course, you know, um, this hybrid model, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, schools at the moment, particularly with the upper secondary, you know, they, they have this concept of independent learning, creating spaces, uh, learning spaces in their schools, so there's less dependency on teachers um, and then accessing more online learning. So, that kind of hybrid will probably develop more, but you'll never replace the, the school environment with all the added values that um, schools offer. You know, that will never go away.
0: So, in terms of Um, the first steps then, John, on the road to that happening in five years' time, say, what should schools be looking at to future-proof or to get ahead of the game, shall we say, uh, in relation to that vision that you just outlined?
1: Well, I think schools need to look inwardly and and identify, right, you know, what their strengths are, um, what their uniqueness is, um, and what will attract... um, parents to put children in their school um, and, and enhance that, you know, uh, we can't be all things to all people. Um, and sometimes maybe identifying um, a certain area that, you know, the school does excel in. Um, you know, I know a couple of schools, for example, have outstanding special needs programs. Um, And they sell themselves in that respect in terms of integrating children with learning difficulties in mainstream. Um, And then, of course, they they become very, very popular um, uh, for that reason. So schools looking now at um, being able to sell themselves more about what their strengths are um, and to be able to sustain that then um, I think that's what, uh, you know, if I was a head of a school, that's what I would be looking at. You know, we've got to be careful. And again, one thing that's wonderful about a federation like ours is, you know, we have to be professional. Um, There is a danger sometimes when the pressure on is like this, when you're trying to um, keep your enrollment or increase it because of pressures from owners or shareholders, uh, you know, your marketing teams overstep the code of conduct that's expected of our schools, you know. So, you know, we're great as a federation in being aware of um, what is the expectations of on us in terms of being professional and working together and and not upsetting each other by, um, you know, bringing in practices that are not acceptable. So there is that going to be happening for sure, you know, and um, hopefully not within our Federation, but, you know, you, you, you know, I have seen a lot of that. That's something you've got to safeguard against.
0: It's a really interesting point you make there, John, about specializing. Um, I mean, you know, in my experience, especially with teacher training in the UK, and um, we have this this real thirst to specialize. So everything has to be done in subject, subject specialists, especially in secondary schools. And sometimes it can get quite entrenched into or quite blinked in what you're doing without actually looking out. Whereas if you're looking at a lot of progressive education, it's very much about project-based learning. It's very much about that whole idea of coaching and how students can have a say in what they're learning and getting experts in in a much more fluid model, um, what do you see are the, are the the challenges perhaps in being less specialized and having more breadth in education?
1: I think that model exists you know in 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 good schools you know we take for example, the international primary curriculum uh, is a great model in terms of um, children you know exploring and researching um, their own learning and coming up with their own um answers to things um as opposed to you know the old model of rote learning um you know one of the one of the interesting um changes that we're experiencing and you know i celebrate this is that you know there's been no exams this year right (laughs) you know you haven't had the um IGCSEs and the A levels and the IBs and I think that's going to be a breath of fresh air. So that's going to be a potential change because, you know, teachers know their students well. They've taught them for years. They know their strengths. They can predict where they are without having to sit in a an alien hall for a couple of hours doing an exam paper, having a nervous breakdown before and after it. So... I think that's going to be an incredible change for schools, you know, in terms of doing things differently and bringing out the best in our students. Because, you know, a great school will have that breadth. You know, they're not all going to be top of the class in mathematics or they're not all going to be winning gold medals in sports. So, you know, to be able to bring, you know, develop students to achieve their potential Um, so that they are adding value to, and that's all you ask for, really. Um, You know, so this pressure then in terms of producing so many A to C grades and so on, sadly, that still remains, because, you know, when they go on to higher education, they need those. Um, But watch that space as far as um, a new way now of assessing how children end their Uh, secondary education in the future.
0: And in terms of um, Fabicia, John, where do you see that going and progressing in the next few years?
1: You know, our strength, Nicholas, is we are regional um, and we see ourselves, although, you know, we'll be close to 80 schools at the moment, we see ourselves as like a family, a small community. Um, So, you know, uh, we want to remain that although we are growing and that can't be avoided um, but you know new schools coming in new heads coming in uh, we want them to feel part of an a regional community and of course being regional then we're able to offer value added in terms of you know the numerous activities that we do and it's quite affordable you know you haven't got to fly to the other part of the world you know it's Uh, It's close by, whether it's within the city like Bangkok. Um, So, you know, school budgets then aren't hit too hard uh, in terms of their teachers being able to participate in the activities we organise, or the students uh, being able to compete against uh, other schools um, at a, a reasonably affordable price. So... We want to maintain doing that and enhance that, you know. And, um, and, of course, we want to extend the great work we do in the region, you know, with people like in the UK government. You know, we work with the DFE. We work with the Department of International Trade. We have strong connections with the British Prime Minister's trade envoys. We have great links with other um, regional organizations like the BSME, Cobbase. Uh, the Association of British Schools Overseas, the National Association of Schools in Spain. Um, And then, of course, educational events, you know, like BET, um, you know, they see a huge potential in partnering us. And, of course, we're very proud of the fact as well, we've got about close to 90 affiliate members. So these are companies mostly in the UK um, that service our schools you know so they have a business and they have access to our schools um, so that they can provide a service and see value for themselves as well so when we have our annual conference you know we it's a great community we bring uh, keynote speakers out like Sir John Jones and uh, we have exhibitors there which are our affiliates Um, so keeping that community spirit uh, is something we will never change, I think, and managing our growth may be a challenge um, uh especially you know you know a good example is we have these phobicia games, right so imagine seventy six schools, um most of which participate in these games um, <laughs> uh, it's it's a huge challenge, right yeah, yeah, so you know imagine when if we're up to a hundred schools um wow it's 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 something else, you know, so we celebrate the fact that we are able to achieve these kind of activities as well, you know
0: no, that's great stuff, uh, John. And we'll finish just focusing on on yourself if you don't mind, and uh, what's next for you, really? I mean, you said that you've retired already and you came back two, <laughs> two weeks later. Um, are you planning on, on retiring again any, any, anytime soon, and, and and you know what are kind of things that you're, that you're continuing to learn? Through times like this, for
1: example, well, you know that, that you know the this um, statement of lifelong learners definitely applies to me, you know, and I, well, what I've picked up over the last, whether well, the last four months alone, has been absolutely incredible. Um, this role is like a, a new role; it's I'm the inaugural CEO, so I think I'm ambitious to develop the role so that whoever succeeds me then uh, has got a uh, a position that's got a clear direction in supporting our federation of the future. So I'm working towards developing this role over the next couple of years, after which I hopefully will retire. Um, But, you know, again, I'm enjoying, I'm very passionate about Fabissia, but I'm enjoying the fact that I'm, I'm linking up with so many people now beyond our uh, region and um that's something I'm really enjoying so you know the last couple of years i've I've attended events um that i you know i I never knew existed before and and listening to people at these events you know it's 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 a privilege um so, whilst, you know, the thing is, you know, whilst you enjoy what you're doing, why stop, isn't it? And uh, I feel very much like that. You know, it, I've had a, a, a new lease of energy with this role. And um, as long as that remains the case, plow on, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and How long have you been in post now, John, the, the CEO? Well, it feels like about 10 years, but actually <laughs> it's, it's less than a year. No, I'm only joking. Um, it's less than a year. I joined last uh, August yeah, and um, it's, it's been great, you know, and um, of course, you know, I left the Federation six years ago and, and, you know, incredibly Nicholas in, in six years, it's changed so much. So when you said, right, what's it going to look like in five years time? Uh, it, it'll probably be at a very different level again. Um, and, you know, we have a, Uh, a committee led by our vice chair, Matt Mills, that looks at our strategic plan uh, as to the direction that we're heading. And we've identified key areas that we want to develop. Um, So, you know, in five years time, it may be a different animal, you know, but um, uh, it'll still remain that close knit community, uh, which it is at the moment that, uh, we all seem to know each other and be able to pick up the phone and talk to each other or support each other whenever we need it. You know.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and that idea of collaboration and support. I mean, when I was doing the first series of this um, podcast, looking at leadership in uncertain times, that was a real you know, big thread that came through was that support collaboration, people talking, and it seems so simple, doesn't it, really? But it's it's reminding us about how important it is to have federations, memberships, associations, and people who have got your back a little bit, you know?
1: Well, you know, we've done several surveys recently, you know, um, surveys on the challenges of bringing new staff out for the next academic year, a survey on the impact of COVID-19 on our schools. And, you know, I have to say, you know, when you look at the contribution that people have made to these surveys, it's it's a wonderful resource, you know, and and as you said, that to be able to have access to that from uh, feedback from uh, great leaders, you know, who have wonderful experience. Uh, that example I gave earlier, you know, schools that have opened up sharing that practice to schools that are about to open, that's what it's all about. You know, you're, you're not alone. Um, and we learn a lot from each other, you know, and, and I think that's the culture that we are committed to as as a federation.
0: John, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been uh, really insightful speaking to you and thank you for making the time all the way from Malaysia. I know it's a bit later Mm -hmm. with you Uh, and I, I sincerely hope that you continue to enjoy your dream job going forward and um, we'll definitely keep in touch.
1: Great, Nicholas. And uh, again, thanks for inviting me on. Now, I, I, as I said at the beginning, you know, um, the work that you're doing, you know, you talk about collaboration. As, as an aspiring school leader as a head, I would be following your CVs, uh, picking up on the people that you invite on board and sharing their thoughts. So, you know, the work that you do contribute to that as well. Um, And I'm a big fan of that. So all good stuff.
0: Many thanks, John. Uh, If you're interested in the leadership coaching and development offerings at Pursue or would like to connect to discuss any of the topics in the show, please send me an email at hello at pursue.com or visit our website, pursue.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn at Nicholas Mackay or Pursue. Take care and look forward to speaking to you all again soon.